All right, my friends. Well, welcome back to Trekology. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we are yet again. My name is Jeff, and with me always is Greg. How are you, Greg? <laughs> this Greg yeah. is a tired Greg. <laughs> tired. Okay. So when we were recording this, yesterday was Halloween. Yes. And we had gone out with your family to trick-or-treat right. in your neighborhood. You got a good neighborhood for trick-or-treating. Mm. And so we had recently moved, so we didn't know what our street was like on Halloween. Yeah. We get back to our street, and it... There's a party going on on our block. Okay. There's music. There's people in the middle of the street. Lots of like teenagers and young adults running around. The houses were intense and like scary. There are actors running around with chainsaws chasing people. What? It was insane. Okay. And loud. Yeah. And our son is five and he needed to go to sleep because he was crashing. Hmm. So. That was fun. Yeah. Did that keep him up or did he crash anyway? You know, he wanted to stay out and see the action. Sure. For some reason, my son is really into everything like Halloween and scary mm. and skeletons and blood and zombies. Yes. And death. Death. Oh, man. Good old Loves death. death. <laughs> Loves death. So, yeah, it was quite an experience last night. Excellent, excellent. But we had fun hanging out with your family. All right. You weren't, in, you weren't in uniform. Yeah. I was a little disappointed that we weren't seeing uh, Star Trek. Oh, no, that wasn't going to happen. But uh, especially, yeah, we're not really the dressing up sort of a crew, as you guys are, which I appreciate. Always in theme, and that's... Yeah, we do try. Do you own a uniform? I do. Or at least a tunic. And But really, all you need is a tunic and black pants, right? That's all you need. Yeah, that's true. Hey, but before we get too far, because we're leaving out our third member of the trio tonight, we are bringing back fan favorite, Robert. <laughs> how are you doing, Robert? Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How was your... Did you? Were you here for Halloween? Did you get trick-or-treaters? No. No? I did not. Okay. okay. I, would, I would not have been pleasant if they knocked on my Oh really? Okay. Okay. It's, it's a funny. It's a funny thing that I've noticed because like this is the first house I've lived in that has had trick or treaters. The previous places have had zero trick or treaters, and now we are the place to be. I mean, literally, yeah. people were dropping carloads of children off in front of our house. Not because we're the great house, because the great houses are down the street. And there's a part of it that's kind of nice. It's a lot of energy, but, you know, there is definitely, uh, after about 7.30, it definitely loses some of its appeal. That's enough. Right? <laughs> I, yeah. I guess then I, I should be grateful. You know what? You know. For looking so poor. Ontario ain't going to have candy. To really? Keep it uh, yeah, I don't know. Ontario is like a, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's hit or miss. It, and it can be. You're right. But I mean, the, the way that the, the houses are all situated and the blocks and stuff like that, it's not like you've got to, you know, hike five miles to get to the next house. There's just, you know, they're right. lined up next to each other. So that's nice. Uh, I was going to ask for any Star Trek forays, oh, although I will throw one in yes. before, before if you had a Don't second one to go in, is that I'm, I'm curious about. So any listener, tens of listeners that are out there, <laughs> there knows more. Literally does. <laughs> Um, uh, so I saw something that I guess Marina Cerritus's Twitter account got hacked. So she like left uh, Twitter. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I don't know what someone tweeted under her name 
or if it really matters. But could all I'll this be with Elon Musk buying Twitter? Like, sure, that's his that's first okay. thought. You know what I'm going after? Deanna Troy from Star Trek. Exactly. That's my first target. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know if she's a pro- is she a pro- prolific tweeter? I don't know. I doubt it. I mean, I haven't. I'm not on Twitter. Not but she doesn't seem like the Twitter kind of person. So I have something to last last episode we talked about taste of armageddon yeah you and i we both listened to another podcast that we both enjoyed uh the holy post and on there they talked about these dutch military robots that they're starting to test going out and to the battlefield and shooting each other i guess okay and it made me think a lot about taste of armageddon about how if we're we're removing our human contact in war oh. more and more, we're putting more separation between that. It and especially if we're the first world in Europe is sending out these robots like yeah. drones and everything to do our killing for us. Yeah, that separates us more, and we forget that horrors of war mm. that Kirk was talking about. Right. There. Well, and that yeah. So then robots killing each other. And then my robot kills your robot, therefore I win or whatever. Right. But then it also feels like now all of a sudden we start getting into like Terminator 2 or Matrix or whatever. Right. Disposable humans or disposable yeah. whatever. And yeah, yeah. So. Yep. A tangled web we weave, my friends. We certainly do. A tangled web. <laughs> but what we're about tonight is uh, the Wrath of Khan. We started off our season two talking about original series episodes. As you mentioned, we went through uh, Doomsday Machine, Balance of Terror, and then landed last episode on Taste of Armageddon. Now we're moving into the movies. So we're going to do one original series movie, and we picked... Uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. So the three of us, Greg, me, and Robert got together last week and we watched that movie, uh, The Director's Cut, mind you. Now, Robert, you'd never seen that before? No, sir. Neither, neither version. Neither version. Okay. Now, Greg, had you ever seen The Director's Cut before? I don't think I've ever seen The Director's Cut. I did notice those little extensions of the scene. Yeah. It wasn't a whole lot, but I thought no. it was worth it. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Oh, I, see, I, I enjoyed this little bit. A okay. little extra. Oh, how did you feel? See, I felt the exact opposite. I felt like okay. everything they added back in, I'm like, I know why they were cut. The closest one for me, Preston, uh, uh, what is it, Lieutenant, or whatever, Scotty's nephew, yeah. that kind of gets all mouthy with Kirk. And the nice thing about that is that does establish... His, he's, a, he's a character that right. we actually care when he dies, yes. as opposed to in the unedited version, uh, or the edited version, or whatever, you get to see very, basically he just says, yes sir, and that's about it, and then I don't even know if we know that that's his, his nephew. I don't remember ever knowing that it okay. was his nephew, but okay. maybe I wasn't watching closely enough, but I, ne- I never connected okay. that. I, I knew it because there's also apocrypha. There's some like uh, comic books about like when Scotty has to go back and tell his sister that his his her, her son has died and stuff like that. But for me, like his whole thing of like calling the admiral as blind as a bat, I'm like, you would be court-martialed right now. Like, no, this is not happening. Come on, just because you're like an uppity Scotsman? No. no, 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 no. It's an admiral. He doesn't know who Kirk is. He's just being an uppity. No. You don't think his uncle told him who Kirk was? Still. Oh, hey. <laughs> so your, your, your idea 
idea is that Scotty said, hey, you know what? Admiral Kirk, you could totally mouth off exactly. too. Exactly. Totally a pushover. You could, no, no. And then the same thing too, like there's, what is it, even, um, what is it, at his, uh, when he dies. And right. there's that extra thing that was added in where Scotty kind of goes like, why? And then Kirk goes like, well, there's a man out there that wants to kill me. He's never come. I'm like, yeah, oh, superfluous and all taking away the emotional. I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Emotional that, content that of the scene. Was a little rough. I um, did enjoy his the extended conversation with Bones though in his apartment. Uh, okay, yeah, that was a little. There was a little there, but even that, and that's why I'm interested to hear your perspective, Robert, because for me. I, I, I am, think this is not too crazy to say this is one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. And it is almost a perfect movie. For me, like every time I watch it, it is phenomenal. The dialogue is, I mean, again, I've watched it so many, many, many times that I can recite almost all of the dialogue myself. It's so many moments are, are almost poetic where it's just the exact line. I mean, like that, that scene in, in, um, in Kirk's apartment, the post-edited scene for me is, is so, is so perfect. The beat and the timing and just the like, mm-hmm. the like, um, don't miss words, bones. What do you really mean? Get your, right. get your command back. And like, again, the timing and just the emotion of it works so well that then shifting that, yeah, again, was a little, a little challenging. So, where do you guys sit? So, greatest science fiction movie ever made or garbage? Okay. Wow. Let me let me tell you uh, what this movie reminded me of. Yeah. The Beatles. And let me explain what that means. Okay. Um, I didn't listen to the Beatles at all. Like, maybe one or two songs growing up, and I just didn't really, just never listen to them. And then when I finally grew up, and I, I wasn't an adult, when I was like, okay, I'll listen to their, and I realized... They sound like everything because everyone <laughs> because everyone copied them. Right, exactly. So I got the same thing in this watching this movie. There's mm-hmm. so many different scenes in it where I was like, wow, this is okay. It, it's kind of like seminal in the sense of like it's it's a very important movie in science fiction history. And when you talk about the context where it was, what it meant for the franchise, what it meant for fans, uh, and even now for me looking at through this lens in 2022, and that movie what 1982. 84. Either way, back then, the cast it had, the issues they attacked, et cetera, et cetera. It's, I agree with you in, in most of the things you said, especially given that, like, I watched it, I loved the movie, I, but I saw, because I'm a huge, huge science fiction buff, and I saw, I've seen scenes <laughs> from that movie played out a million times because it's an important movie. Interesting. Not only to the, not only to the franchise and, and the, and you Trekkies, but also in general to, to the genre of science fiction itself, I think. Yeah. Even people yeah. who, even people who are not strictly, um, Star Trek fans can find it enjoyable because it did have a lot of themes and things mm-hmm. that didn't, uh, require you to know what a red show was, you know? Right. So. Right. It, it's accessible to people who haven't watched every episode of the, of the show. Right. Right. And that was what I thought was interesting. Like, before we watched the movie, like, Greg kind of explained to Robert about, like, this is the connection to that Space Seed episode and blah, 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 uh, which is, is fine and it helps kind of expand that vision. I don't know that that's necessary. Like, I feel like that's explained in the context of the movie. It definitely adds where it's just like, oh, we totally saw this episode and now I know what they're talking about. Right. I, I think in general that works well because the fact that it was based on an episode is only 
like that little tidbit that makes the fans excited because right. they know. Right. But it's not required to follow right. the movie in its entirety because you got you gather from what he said the the passion he had for what happened to him, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. And who his wife was doesn't really matter in the movie. But we know who his wife was because yeah. we bashed on her when we talked about her on the show. <laughs> but um, so anything like either for you, Robert, that like stood out at this time, like you said, a lot of it felt very familiar and felt like, you know, reminiscent of other things that you'd seen. Anything that either stood out to you as either particularly, uh, I don't know, good or bad or noticeable, Greg, anything that stood out like, hey, I never noticed this before? For me, only because it's it's... It's something that's obviously in the forefront of people's minds for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. But I'm a big believer in diversity. I'm a okay. big believer in that seeing yourselves portrayed, whether it's in something you aspire to be in real life or that it's even in something you imagine. To see someone that looks like you does something for you. Mm. So I, I look at the casting of that show, of that, of that movie 30 years ago. And, you know, it's got people of color and it's got a, a woman... Um, in command and being you know and it's like i like that and mm-hmm. i like that it was so long ago and i like that it's not ham-fisted or forced and it's there's quality there's talent there and it works and uh these are some of the most recognizable and loved characters of all time that mm-hmm. even they withstood the test of time so looking at them seeing the movie it makes sense why people still are so fond of it it did. It did live up. Live up to the the. Cause I I I try not to read what the what the plot was, but I did. I did look, do a little reading on the film and saw that it was uh, it was a beloved film. Okay. Okay. For for, for the um, for the fans and uh, it was well done. Everything about it was well done and uh, I enjoyed it. Lived up to expectations. Okay. Okay. Greg, you noticed anything new? You know, we we're talking about diversity in that in uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and we had uh, Ricardo Montalban as Khan, of course, and we looked it up, a Mexican guy. Mexican. Yeah, just like Robert. And uh, it, it occurred to me that that is like the only Hispanic character we see on Star Trek until Strange New Worlds, I think. Can you think of any other Hispanic characters? Hmm. Yeah, so in, in Strange New World, you have um, Ortegas, which is the helmsman in, on the Enterprise in Strange New Worlds. There is an Ortega, isn't there? Not as a main character, at the very least. I'll certainly give you grant you that. Besides that, we, so we were to set the scene. The three of us were watching it on the couch. And as the brain beetle theme comes up... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff tells Robert to make sure that he is watching. Right. Robert oh, literally gets up to go to the bathroom right before that. I'm like, whoa, 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 we can stop the movie. That's kind of a big moment. It's the most visceral and really the only like body horror scene that I will watch in a movie. Wow. It was well that's not body horror, but it is interesting. It's not body horror. No, no, body horror is like when your body is like, you know, trans like they like mutate your arm to turn you into a squid creature or something like that. Like that's as I understand. Putting a bug in your ear. Like the fly. Did you ever okay. watch the fly? That's like no. good. Don't it sounds like. But that's like <laughs> body horror. He turns into a fly. When I was picturing this movie in the context, like in its historical context, that 
how fascinating it is, is that so we had, what, mm, 10 years, I think, between the end of the original series until Star Trek The Motion Picture. And then we had an, only a couple of years since the Star Trek The Motion Picture. But you look at those two movies, and they are radically different. They are. I mean, they're wearing jumpsuits with belt buckles in that movie, and then they're all they're wearing this, like, completely different like it doesn't look anything like the tv show it doesn't i love these are my favorite costumes that they ever wear with the the high-breasted the stuff like that there's no colors Mm -hmm. even the like because you know it's normally the 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 reds and the the oranges and all that um but it's it's very um uh uh, naval and it's very like like uh official and uh, and, it's, and I always love that more buckles are always a good thing for me. The fact that Kirk could buckle the, the thing on his... And for some reason, he kept unbuckling it, then rebuckling it, and unbuckling it, and got blood on it. And was like, why just rebuckle it? you got to show the blood. And, um, and then he took the whole thing off, and he had a little jumpsuit underneath or whatever. But, again, like, where the heck did that come from? You know, you go from Star Trek 1, and then you get this whole new visual yeah. in Star Trek 2. And not only that, this movie, more than any other movie was by far like the darkest and the heaviest of all of them for sure tone the tone the 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 ears and the ear thing well but even like thinking of and i remember what always freaked me out as a kid watching it is the scene when they first get on the space station and they're walking around and bones sees the rat and he jumps up there's a rat and all of a sudden for some reason the rat didn't freak me out even the, the bloody bodies hanging from the roof. Right. Like, yeah. where did that come from? That's not really a Star Trek thing. For me, it was the one where it was, what was it? It was the one door opens suddenly and the Savick is standing right there. Mm-hmm. Like, that always surprised me for some reason. Because the camera was just panning and then all of a sudden, zoop, there she was. That always surprised me. And it was supposed to because, like, the, 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 the tone, like, it was just that... Yeah, the whole time, and even we were commenting on the theme. the The movie starts off with the Star Trek theme, and then the Star Trek Two theme. And the Star Trek Two theme is far more dominant in the movie than the Star Trek theme, which really only comes up pretty much at the beginning and at the end. Right. And and I thought that was a really interesting. I, I have a feeling, and I, I mean, I would need to look at some his, you know history, but I have a feeling a lot of people didn't like this. For that reason. This is not what we... I can't show my children this. And my children and I would always watch Star Trek together, but we can't watch Star Trek 2 together. I mean, even for us, I don't know that I would show my kids, you know, Star Trek, but I have no problem if there's a Star Trek episode on. This is on? Eh, I don't know. This is a little little heavy for a five-year-old. Yeah. It, it, even, like, I'm trying to think, like, what's the next darkest movie? Maybe Nemesis? Six is pretty dark. Because it's a murder mystery. Yeah. But it doesn't have as dark a tone. It does. That's always that's, the, and the that's cinematography. What, how, many, how many films are there? Well, if we don't include J.J. Abrams, then there'd be 10, right? right. Nemesis with the 10th? Yeah. And then talk about... Oh, no, they're doing Picard Season 3. That feels like that's number 11. But How many anyway. J.J. Abrams are there? Three. Three. They're talking about a fourth. Yeah. Okay, I've only seen two, I believe. Carry on. No, you, you've, done, you've done more than your share. Trust me. <laughs> Although I did read something that said that, uh, they said Star Trek Beyond was underrated. Which I was like, really? Was it? I don't know. It's that time. Like, enough years have passed. That exactly. Now you can now we can call. That say, this was underrated. 
Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. So they're bringing it back, though. So I have to say it's underrated. What the heck are they bringing it back? Bringing it back. Anyway, the two topics that I wanted us to, to chew with tonight is kind of the two main themes that they repeat, because uh, they repeat these phrases in the movie. And I find them very compelling, both in the movie and like just as independent concepts. Yeah, they're the themes of the movie. Exactly. Uh, is the first one is what is mentioned right at the beginning and then at the end, then again at the end is how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. And it's really interesting to me in the movie, I feel like they deal with this in a couple of different ways. Like one, and I'm hoping everyone who's listened to this is watched Star Trek 2. If not, stop right now and go and watch it. Assuming that now you've watched it, when Spock dies at the end, that's where Kirk is faced with death. And it's fascinating that it ties into the beginning where they're dealing with the Kobayashi Maru scenario, the no-win scenario and how you deal with it. And he doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. He's never faced death, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, the entire point of the movie, I think, is... James Kirk wrestling with growing older. And that even he said like that moment is such a, again, such a brilliant scene in his apartment as he is just like, you know, you want, what is it? You want to be writing, uh, uh, hopping galaxies instead of writing the damn computer console. And that's it right there. I am getting old. I have taken a desk job because I'm too, this is a, this, uh, what is it? Hop in the cosmos is a game for the young doctor. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's how, and then he totally even says it right after, um, he gets marooned, right? How are you feeling? Old and worn out. And then at the end, he feels young. And then we have, you know, four more movies to go. But then, so again, it's, it's kind of the twofold. One, there's the life part and one, there's the death part. Uh, so especially with tomorrow being for us, uh, as we're recording, tomorrow is Dia, I think it's tomorrow is Dia de los Mortos, yeah, right? Mortos, yes. Now, so how, <laughs> how are you guys with death? How do you guys do, is death at least, how we deal with death is least as important as how we deal with life? Let's unpack that. Okay. What does, what does that mean? Because are we talking about just like the rituals surrounding how we treat death? Mm. Or are we talking about how we go on into death or what we do with people dying around us? Mm. You know, or is that all of that? Is it all connected in that? Because individually, honestly, it feels like how we live is really the most important thing. Mm. Death is the ultimate. Death is the ultimate game over. Death is the ultimate. There's no. There's no mitigations, there's no ifs and or buts, there's no tomorrows. It's death. It's, it's the final, final. Mm. Right? So, how you deal with death, how you deal with something that there's no coming back from, if you show character, if you can keep going, or are you going to collapse, or are you going to go nuts, because there's, because it's the final, final. So after death, there's no, maybe that person that died or whatever, you let it go because they're no longer there to check you or whatever. It could be taken in kind of like, in that sense of how, mm. um, how you deal with death matters because you can't just uh, stop living because a person dies, you know? Because mm, someone else dies. Yeah, because someone yeah. else you, you know, so how you, because, and death is also the ultimate obstacle slash thing in your life. So how you handle it is, is important mm. as how you live. Um, yeah. It can be, I, I see it that way. Okay. Have you guys ever seen City Slickers? 
So part of part of City Slickers is uh, one of the characters dies, and afterwards the three friends are riding together, and Billy Crystal goes, uh, like, it really makes you think, doesn't it? And he says, like, well, I feel like when someone dies, it's a natural time to think about my own mortality. Mm-hmm. And then the other friend says, like, I think it's the exact opposite. This is the time to enjoy life and to get the most out of suck the marrow, a marrow out of out of life right now. Like how I don't know, do you guys feel like you're on that spectrum? Does death make you think about death and your own mortality, or does death make you appreciate life? I think others death. Probably well, when when I think about other people's death, it makes me think more of life. I'm more on that side of the spectrum. Okay. Um, just acknowledging that, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. So what am I going to do with my life here? You know, and that, but also like remembering the dead, like we were talking about Dia de los Muertos, that's important too. And it's application of that person's life to mine. Like, what does that mean? My wife is very much of the thought that any one of us can die at any time. So that's comforting, <laughs> but it's true. It's like, true. Terrible things happen to people all the time. Sure. And what are we going to do now, right now, right in this moment? How are we going to live our lives now to like honor that, you know, honor that idea that we could be gone at any time, you know, okay. death is a, when somebody close to you dies, that's a reminder of that. Right. You know, I think of like, uh, my parents dying, you know, that that's something we all expect to see sure. is our parents dying, Yeah, which is really, really hard. But also I can, I can see how their lives apply to my own about how I, how I'm going, how I'm trying to live mine in honor of their life as well. So how does grieving fit into that? Because my thought is, there could be a avoidance of grief because, well, I just want to enjoy, like, I want to, you know, get the most out of life and stuff like that as opposed to feeling sad or whatever. Well, sounds like you've been talking to my wife. Apparently, I don't uh, express my feelings enough anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I do have a tendency to keep that all bottled inside. Okay. But it, it kind of goes with a personal philosophy of, doing rather than dwelling on something, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we've had this conversation before about <laughs> more action oriented with things okay, rather than sitting with things. Okay. You know, I, we waste a lot of time sitting on things instead of just doing things. Interesting. Yeah. Robert, how are you with grieving and lament and things? I would definitely be a thinker, not a doer. And, okay. Um, it also depends. I think, uh, Depends on how close they were to you. Mm. I, I believe the more it impacts you uh, emotionally, the more likely you are to dwell on your own mortality and those mm-hmm. other things, as opposed to if it was just someone that was close enough to matter, but not close enough to make you cry. Yeah. Those are the type of people that make you say, damn, he was same age, same, same uh, profession, same whatever as you. I need to go and make sure I spend time with my kids. I need to make sure I do this. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's where like where it, how it slides. The closer mm-hmm. you are, the more you'll you'll reflect. Yeah. And the you know if you the farther they are from you, 
the more likely you are to, to to do things that they're no longer able to do. You give yourself that selfishness, I guess. It's a lot harder to like when your mom dies to say like, man, I should go to Hawaii, <laughs> you know, as opposed to like you, your neighbor right passing like, damn, you know, he had his bike in his garage for 10 years. He never rode. I'm going to ride my bike tomorrow. Mm. That type I of thing. I should see if there's something to bike. That's, you can never have enough fun. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and that's 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 been my thought about like, and that's, it's uh, especially like for me from like a, a a Christ follower perspective, the belief that life continues, existence continues beyond our our mortal life, uh, does still mean that then the the death of someone is more of a a loss for us than it is for them. them. Right. That we lose them as opposed to them losing anything. Uh, and that's the thing. So, like, you know, talking about uh, family members. Now, I haven't lost my parents, but I've lost all of my grandparents. And so some of that, like, thinking about, like, so my children will never get to meet their great-grandparents. Like, so when I talk about my grandmother, my children have no idea what that is about. <laughs> For me, I feel like there's probably something healthy in saying that sucks. Yeah. yeah. That's like, and not like you say, like not living there, not dwelling there. But I just wonder if like, if we're not, if we never sit there at all, if we never, if we move right past that sucks into like, eh, that's okay. I don't know. Like I, I've been a big believer in the whole, what is it? Five stages, seven stages of grief. How many stages do we have these days? <laughs> However many it is. So, like, for example, when I um, lost my last job, like, that was a big thing for me to be able to be like, okay, like, I'm going to embrace, like, right now, I'm angry. And that's okay. Like, that's what my body is doing to adjust to releasing this thing. Mm -hmm. Like, right now, I'm in denial. I'm thinking I'm going to wake up tomorrow and this was all a bad dream. That's okay, too. Like, to be not to rush past that and that acceptance is the best scenario but it's it's maybe just the natural outcome of sitting through all of this grief and that's been a thing that i keep wrestling with is like looking back on hopefully back on the pandemic and how it really feels like a lot of people are just kind of like those last two years didn't even happen it's 2019 all over again yeah and I, it just it's almost like the mcu i think i've talked about this a lot the mcu uh, refers to the blip the five years that Thanos snapped half the people away and that people want to just forget. Let's forget that those five years even happened. It, well, it's easy for the people that got blipped, but for everybody else, like... They're there, yeah. Yeah, right? Now, we lived for five years, and it was horrible and wonderful and everything in between. And, I don't know, to me it feels like this is maybe a part of being complete people, maybe, that mm -hmm. we can experience the full range of, of the highs and the lows. Yeah, my grandmother died a few years ago. You know, she, I think about all the things that I did with her. I was close to her. She provided a lot of experiences and fun and all these things for me. I got to talk to her about all kinds of things. And my application of that, of her life to mine, it, some of that is teaching my son about her mm. and about her life and about what she went through, all the amazing things that she did with her life, how, you know, that is in him too. You know, that that's also part of his story too. Like in, in his blood, you know, part of the reason he's here is because of all those things that she overcame, mm. you know? 
I understand what you're saying about grieving. That's an important part of what we do. Acceptance is one thing, though, and application, I think, is another step. Mm. You know, that, sure. that we to go beyond just like, okay, I accept that this terrible thing happened, but how does that how does that apply to me? How can I put those lessons into practice? Going back to the pandemic, what do we do now? You know, we've spent two and a half years in this mess, this quagmire, you know. Mm. What do we do now with that with knowing about pandemics now, with all these yeah. words in our lexicon, with all the confronted with our mortality, not just as like individuals, but as communities. Yep. And as a, I mean, God, as a species. You know, that that we're confronted with that now. Yeah. You know, this and I think, man, you know what the best part of this pandemic was? Was seeing the communities of people springing up. And I mean, some were super toxic. <laughs> but, <laughs> but some were anyway. <laughs> but, but we need people, right? We need community. We need to band together. And yeah. we can band together in times like this. But we shouldn't forget that lesson. Right. And that's that's my biggest fear about coming. I mean, we keep coming out of the pandemic. This community that we built all during the pandemic, you know, your family, Jeff, your family, Robert, this is something we built during the pandemic. You know, I mean, we knew each other beforehand. Yeah. But we got close during that's the true. pandemic. Yeah. We delivered groceries to each other's houses mm. when we when we had it. Yeah. You know, we checked up on each other. We made sure that we were doing okay. And, you know, we talked on Zoom. We did all those pandemic things. Right. And survived. we're much closer right. together than I think we would have been if we hadn't, hadn't gone through that. Yeah. And I guess that's what I like about that phrase is that how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. That it's not how we deal with death is more important. Yeah. Not forgetting about the past. Not wanting to ignore it or wanting to like not deal with it. Cause I think we can have the tendency to do that. And I think that's the whole point of like, Kirk is wanting to do that. Kirk is either a wanting to still be 32 years old mm-hmm. or B wanting to pretend that he's immortal. Like right. in, in both ways, where it's just like that he physically can't die and none of his friends can't either. Yep. And neither of those are true. And to, to be able to come to grips with that and to be okay with that. And so, like you said, Robert, like that's the really interesting thing in the movie that Spock dies. And then the next scene after his like funeral is Kirk saying that he feels young again. The whole speech about like, you know, the, my friend gave his life for this, like in the light of this new world and all of that. And that, you know, death, death and life can be, can be uh, intertwined yeah. on some level. It, it's interesting contrasting that with uh, Pike in Strange New Worlds, who knows that he's going to die mm. in the future, or not die, but get like horribly, horribly, uh, you know, injured. Yeah. And his his response to that, you know, you, you see it from the beginning of the season, being really in fear of that mm. and letting that hold him back a lot. But in conversation with his friends and his crew and stuff, that motivates him instead. You know, what, what can I do 
to uh, in the time that I have. Mm. And I always, I always thought that was a really interesting con- concept in uh, in narrative writing and in fiction and stuff. We all know we're going to die. Like that's the end for all of us. Sure. And it could be later on this evening, or it could be in fifty years. Right. But we're all going to die. We all know the end to our story. Right. So what what are we doing right now to make sure that works? Mm. You know, mm. there you go, there you go. Right, there and you that's, go. That's, that's and that works out perfectly well. We need Star Trek, uh, Star Trek uh, Eleven, The Wrath of No, not The Wrath of Robert, but whatever, <laughs> something like that for you. You need your movie. So so does this does all this get uh, deleted? You know, all this conversation does this this not land anymore, knowing that in search of Spock, we resurrect him. I mean, I don't think so. Well, and that's where the, the second part of our conversation about, like, sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, I don't think... I mean, it's the same. I mean, it, it'd be the same thing, like, that people have argued about, like, Jesus. Where it's just, like, Jesus dying on the cross, did he know he was going to be resurrected? And if so, then he'd be just like, ah, well, like, go ahead and crucify me. And, like, that's not how we understand the crucifixion. Like, he was still not a big fan of what, what was going on. So, obviously, Spock and nobody else knew that at the time. Does it help Kirk go through his own dealing with death? I mean, as we see in the next episode, next, next movie, he has to deal with a whole lot more death. So, both the death of his ship and, spoiler alert, the death of his son. So, but along those lines, then, because I did want to talk about the second part, which is Spock's line, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, which he says a couple of times about, like, first off, he says it where uh, to have Kirk take the Enterprise as the, as the, the leader. Whatever's going to do the largest good, you're the best commander here, so forget about me. My individual needs don't matter. What matters is the good of the ship. And then the same thing happens with his sacrifice, is that my need to survive was much less than the need of the entire ship to survive. So, like, that's a logical conclusion to sacrifice one to save the many. Now, the weird thing is, in Star Trek Three, the search for Spock, they're trying to, like, figure out how, like, to bring him back and blah, 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 blah. And they end that movie with a now resurrected Spock saying, like, why did you do all this for me? And Kirk's response is, because the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. <laughs> Which sort of fits, because it's he, he's using it as a very, like, in this particular case, your needs were greater than our needs were. As opposed to it being the mass needs outweigh the the, the, the smaller number of needs, mm-hmm. but I don't know how does that does that line of logic on either direction resonate with you guys? We talked before about like the trolley example about like uh, is it all utilitarian or or what do you think? You know, the need, I am a firm believer that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Okay. For example, vaccines, right? Vaccines are not going to have a 100% safety rating. It just gets impossible. Sure. The thing is, look at the world nowadays, right? We're at we're in the billions, right? The fact of the matter is, if, there's a, if there is a vaccine that prevents it from 99.9999% of the population and protects them from malaria or from polio and all those things that have gotten us to where we are right now, I'm okay with those two or 3,000 people that are going to 
have an extreme reaction. Some will die. Some will develop liver failure. It's going to happen. You know what? And if it happened to me, that would suck. But that's why we need to do things in society that are going to hurt, but are going to help everybody. And the mm. people that are hurt just need to understand that's how it, that's life. That's a rough thing to ask other people to do. It's true. Something that kind of sparked my uh, thought as you were talking, Robert, I was listening to another podcast. They were talking about our individualistic way of looking at ourselves, uh, especially here in America. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, like, for example, like the supermarket. When you think about going to the supermarket, you usually think about, I'm going to the supermarket and I'm going to purchase an item from this business and I'm, I'm going to give them money for their item and then I'm going to go home. Done, right? But if you think about it in another way, if you and people like you don't buy a certain item at that supermarket, that supermarket is not going to stock that item. If you everybody buys a certain item, they're going to stock more of that certain item. So in a way, you and the supermarket have a symbiotic relationship. Like it's not just they're an entity and I'm an entity and we have, you know, minimal interaction. We're actually intertwined. And the same thing like he was talking about like going on the internet. You go on the internet and you click on something, the cookies or whatever is tracking what you're clicking on. And if you like that thing, it's going to show you more of it. Like the internet actually changes as we work with it. If Ye puts up a video and nobody watches it, nobody's going to watch it. Like it's not going to do anything. It's going to get taken down or just disappear. Now, if everybody watches it, it's going to be everywhere. And Which it's just, of course we will. There we go. And that's the interesting thing is that again, so we actually control how much people listen to Ye. Like, is he listening? Are we listening to him? Are we oh, giving him a platform? If nobody clicked on him, if nobody paid attention, or, then or, no one would listen. Or is it already just like there? And, and the supermarkets are just there and it's part of just the system we're in. And Kanye can be a placeholder for whatever. And the supermarket is just like, are we really affecting it? Or is it really just... So I would say, my, my example is Crave. You guys ever had Crave cereal? No. I, exactly. I love Crave cereal. Everyone else hated it. And it is gone now. No one would buy it. So no supermarket. They went out of business. I think, well, not, I think it was Kellogg's. Kellogg's stopped making Crave. I remember I went to Comic-Con. They were literally giving it out free, trying to get people to eat Crave, and no one wanted it. What is Crave? Exactly. It was like this, like chocolate, like, there was some sort of a something inside. I mean, you remember this? Was it with a yes. cake? Crave with a with cake? The yes. yes. You remember this? Yes. It's gone now. I think though. I went to that Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But see, but that's my point, is that those those sort of things, or you can think about, like, fidget spinners, or, or uh, pop rocks, or pet rocks, or whatever. There's tons of people around that want it, and there will be the demand, but once the demand leaves, only fools would be just like, hey, you know what? We're still sinking all our money into pet rocks. It's like, well, you're not going to be much of a supermarket for long. I mean, this is true for a lot of things, is that, you know, our our collective purchasing or our collective uh, idea of something gives meaning, right? Like, that's the whole idea behind currency, you know, in the economy. Sure. If it's not based on like a gold or silver standard, there is no actual value in those pieces of cotton that we carry around. Right. You know, 
you know, if we're saying that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, mm -hmm. it's hard to say that when every individual life is has value and is important, mm. you know, and that's that's part of the problem. We don't have a, an omniscient understanding of any situation, of any situation, right? To know what the the real value of our decisions is. You know, if we're looking at the trolley problem, but we don't have that omniscience in order to see what we're doing there, mm -hmm. you know, who we're killing, what what is the overarching plan for that person's life? You know, what, right. what, what is going to happen in their life? Sure. I would be far more willing to sacrifice myself or a stranger or Robert than you know, any member of my, of my, my nuclear family, right. you know, my wife or my son, sorry, Robert, I'm well, running you over with a trolley. So wait, wait, but no, so that makes me think, however, as a husband and as a father, would you say that you would like to see your son grow up believing in self-sacrifice? Right. You would I mean, want that's, that's that the for that. Yeah. But, but, it's easy to say that amongst the three of us, you know, but the reality of it is, if you think about it, individually, we can say, hey, you choose which one of these two guys dies, and, you know, or, or sacrifice yourself. Yeah. But it's all, if it's like a, an individual question or it's presented to us individually, we'd be like, am I going to leave, am I going to leave my kid the one without a dad and leave, he gets a dad, yeah. he gets a dad. You know, so you think of it that way, it's, you want to give your kids obviously self-sacrifice, but you wouldn't do it yourself because you wouldn't leave them alone, you know? See, I wonder about that. I wonder, like, so I'm thinking about the concept of self-sacrifice. The the whole, like, would I jump in front of a bullet for somebody? And, or let me, like, a better example. We're, we're coming home one day, and we see the house next to ours is on fire, and there's someone in there yelling, help me, help me, help me. How many humans do you think would go in? That's a good question. I, I really don't know. I would like to think that we would figure out something to help them. Right. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I do feel like fear is a powerful one and that people can be frozen. Apathy? I don't think, I don't know. I have more faith in humanity, I think, than to think that people would be like, help me, help me, help me. Now, now to be fair, if I'm in my car and I'm driving down the freeway and I see a car on fire, am I going to pull over because this car is on fire or I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I better call the police. Okay, that's fair. But if I'm literally standing in front of a burning building, like that's a, that might be a little bit different. People do, I have seen this happen though. People do stop on the freeway and help people. Sure. And it, it's amazing. Personally, I, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I'm more of a drive by and think, well, I'm glad that guy stopped. Right, right. And, it, but, uh, and even that, like, my wife is usually the one that's like, are we going to call the police? I'm like, well, I'm sure someone else has done it. Yeah. So she calls anyway, so, which I appreciate. Like you were saying, Greg, I tend to agree. I have a hunch that we have more of a self-sacrificial streak in us, not just the three of us, but humans, yeah. than we may realize but as far as family sacrifice like hey 
Robert's family is in danger. I'm going to sacrifice my family to save his. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Now, or, hey, our entire block is in danger. I'm going to sacrifice my family to save this entire block of families. Still, yeah, the yeah. zombies are coming. If I throw my family in front of the zombies, they'll all stop as everyone else can get away. Nope. Well, they might be okay. Like, there's something about that. Yeah. And I, I wonder what that is. Why is that our protective nature and our self-sacrificial nature coming up? Like you, even like you were saying, Robert, about I was a lot more self-sacrificial when I was a single man than I am as a dad. Because now all of a sudden, I'm actually costing my children something by me dying. Yeah. It's not just me that this is affecting anymore. I, it's like if, if I was if I was single and there's like a car on fire I'm like oh if I die now like my mom's gonna friend the newspaper that's cool you know <laughs> as opposed to like what's gonna happen in two years and five years and ten years and twenty years in this wedding you're not allowed to die <laughs> right right our job as a parent is to be protective we're supposed to protect yeah. and nurture this creature so that and again, that's where it defies the needs of the many outweigh and the needs of the few. I feel like people are far more, again, I, I still feel like people can have a self-sacrificial gene to them in an extreme situation. Someone's house is on fire, you're literally standing in front of it and they say, help me please. Like, I feel like a good number of people would go charging in. However, when like election day comes up and it's time to vote, I don't know that that's the case or whatever it is, like with political things to think about like, well, hey, this doesn't really benefit me, but it probably would benefit some other people. I don't know how often that comes up in that or when we're talking again, like vaccines or we're talking about masks or we're talking about Second Amendment or we're talking about all of these things. I don't know that people's first thought is what's going to help the most people. I think it's I, much more what's what can, do I want to do? Can I say something? Yes. Definitely the same, but we, we only grow as a society when um, old men plant trees whose shade they'll never enjoy. Okay. Um, I believe we were past that as in general humans to where there are, there are so many. Everyone has their need hmm. in one thing, whatever, their own selfishness. And it's okay to be selfish now. And it's accepted and no, and it's because we no longer have to survive as a species in the sense of survive. Yeah. You know, now it's just like, I think that saying no longer really applies and it's not really being taught in that. It should, hmm. but I think in general, it's, it's not the way people really think. Yeah. I, I want to push back on this a little bit because like a lot of times we are down on, American individualism and that, that kind of idea. But a lot of people who subscribe strongly to this idea are looking out for the needs of the many in the way that they understand it, that we are all better off if we do have our, our individual freedoms for those kinds of things, that they have a different way of self-sacrifice they work hard to promote those ideas of independence so that many people can have those freedoms going forward. This is all because of that 
what I've been trying to do lately is seeing both sides of the issue. <laughs> but you know that I I think that that independence doesn't necessarily isn't the opposite of self sacrifice because you can you can be independent and still sacrifice for other people. Yeah, but why would you? If your main concern is your indi- your individual betterment, then self-sacrifice is the opposite of that. Not necessarily. How? How could self-sacrifice possibly, unless you're going down like the whole uh, death of a salesman thing, where like I had a horrible life, but if I die, everyone will think I was great. I, I don't, I mean, that could fit, but, and that's why it was, you know, American classic. well but no here's the other part that i'll not fully agree but that i I do think is a big flaw with the needs of the many is that um with this idea minorities should never get any attention in fact i would say slavery fits in the concept of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few if i can enslave two hundred thousand people that can benefit 20 million, good on me. Right? Well, this conversation got <laughs> Well, but isn't that true? If it's just a numbers game, if I'm only going to enslave 200,000 people, no, because I, I, you're I, damning I, the souls of. Because <laughs> now, but no. now we're flipping it on its head, right? No, 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 now no. we're saying that the needs of the few, their needs are greater than the needs now, of the many. You're just basically putting that quote in the, multi, in the multiverse of different moral perspectives, which is from my moral perspective, slavery is bad. So even if you got the, 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 the capital gains from it, right. you doom the society morally, as opposed to other people like think, oh, okay, we get the benefit out of it and they don't have the same morality. And does that make sense? Right, well, so, again, that's why I say it's, the, it's what they said in Star Trek Three, because the needs of the few their need is so great that the need of the many was not as great as that need. So the need for freedom, the need to not be enslaved, is a lot bigger than the need of everybody else to make a couple of bucks off a of cotton. Like that, well, that the, the morality side swings the table the other way. This is the problem, like with animal testing, for example. Like, you, you know, you, you start getting down to more and more granular examples. Like, is it okay that a million rabbits die to make sure that this makeup doesn't cause, uh, you know, cause hives or whatever on? What makeup is this, man? <laughs> a million rabbits? I don't know. Don't, all right, they used all to right. just make them on rabbits. I, I know that from right. like The Simpsons. I don't know. Right, okay. So, <laughs> Million rabbits. Oh, that was hives. <laughs> this one literally murders rabbits. It became a good rabbit poison. Right. As long as you could get close enough to put the lipstick on. But, you know, you could get these more and more granular examples. But what are we sacrificing by engaging with those systems for ourselves? Like, we are all call, called to a, a life of radical self-sacrifice as a Christ follower, yeah. like you always say, you know, we're, we're, we're called to that, uh, radical self-sacrifice. Sure. And that means living morally, even when it makes life more difficult for us, right. that is part of it. Right. So we slavery or 
animal testing, I, I, I believe, is part of that, that calculus about what our sacrifice to, our, to, to ourselves for the, for the greater needs, really, of, sure. of, of the body of humankind. Yeah. For our brothers. Right. You know? Well, and that's, and that's what, and I mean, I, I think that's actually what works. And uh, kind of like we were talking about, like with the two sides of that in Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3, is that it's not that Spock sacrificed himself because they were going to sacrifice themselves or because they would do the same. That's not no, why he that did isn't. it. And, that's, and vice versa. So they didn't do it for Spock because he sacrificed. Like, that wasn't why they did it. They would have done it for him anyway. Right. And for me, like, that's what I really love about that whole... I mean, this is... And we've talked about this before. Like, the my idea of what I think love is supposed to be. It says love is not supposed to be I love you because you love me or I love you because you do these things for me. I love you, period. Right. And then you can choose to love me, period. And okay, great. But like they're they're in a sense they're they're independent of each other. Right. And that's what really makes it like a beautiful thing. It's really not self-sacrifice. It's not love. It's not self-sacrifice if you're only doing it because right. they would also do it. Exactly. You know. And it's that is what's so what's so amazing about Spock's decision is that he he is doing it just for for the love of the people around him. Would he agree with that? I don't know. He's Vulcan, right? Which is which, <laughs> by the way, I don't think it's. I, it was logical. <laughs> right. I think that that's, was his that's approach. what he says. Is this is a logical he's Spock. It was a very logical decision. Right. Well and it's still it's the the thing that cracks me up is that <laughs> as touching as it was, it felt like Kirk could not have said a more insulting thing at right. Spock's funeral that he was the most human person I knew. Right. He's like, Oh I'm dead, give me a break. But does it take anything away from the morality of the act because of Spock's Vulcan outlook on it? That it's just math. Right. He, well, and then, was that was that an, was that an insult to say that he was the most human person he ever met? If he was alive, he would have been insulted by it. But oh, he would have. Oh, totally. Because he's he even. And well, that's the thing. Spock is half human, so definitely like that line. I have been and always shall be your friend. That had to have some emotional, like, human right. side to it. Um, but for me, the reason I think it was a more Vulcan decision is how quickly he made it. Mm. So he's sitting there, Scotty, you know, we I need warp speed in three minutes or you're dead, or all dead. Scotty, he looks over, goes. Like, it was literally that fast. And he knew, I mean, I get, he at least knew he was going to go down there and try and fix it. But I think he knew how far he'd go. Do right. Vul yes. And maybe he always knew this. Do Vulcans love to oh, get married? Okay. So, <laughs> here's the thing about Vulcans that everybody seems to ignore, is that Vulcans don't not feel emotions. Why didn't you just say feel emotions? <laughs> Vulcans feel emotions. <laughs> it's just so that they're... Not. Well, no, but it, it makes... I know. Okay. Double negatives. But I'm going to say it the way that I want to say it. <laughs> say it however you want. I'm not sure we're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> we're keeping it. All right, all right, no, all right. Okay. 
it's not that Vulcans. <laughs> it's not that Vulcans don't feel emotions. It's that they repress their emotions to go with their religious beliefs. Right. So, I mean, as evidenced by the Romulans, who are still very emotional, yep. you know, the Vulcans are just repressing their emotions. So, even if it's a logical decision, it can still have emotion behind it, sure. even if it's repressed or not allowed to, you know, he doesn't allow expression of it. It's still there. And I think we see that in uh, in Strange New Worlds, which you haven't seen about Spock and his relationship with his um, his betrothed. I forgot the right. the right. so they do get married and stuff like that. Oh, but yeah. it's yeah, like you said, repressed and all that sort of stuff. So like a normal marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully. That's the only not married person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, all right, my friends. Well, we have yet again solved individualism, self-sacrifice, and aging. And possibly lamenting and death, too. It's so, so much fun talking about our kids dying. I just right, right. It was, that was a blast. Yep, yep. So, and that is true. You know, my wife will always say, oh, did you guys have fun? I'm like, I don't usually use that word. <laughs> we I mean, talked a lot about our kids dying. Right, right. I should lead with that. Maybe that will help explain it. So, But nonetheless, hopefully you've had fun listening to us. So uh, if so, please join us again. Our next episode, my friends, we're going to uh, continue one last time into some original series because we are going to take a step back into the animated series. Woo! And we're going to talk about the episode Yesteryear. Now, I think you can find it on Paramount Plus. Um, it should be uh, on, like, probably on YouTube somewhere. Uh, if you've never seen it before, and you probably haven't, like, check it out. It's an interesting one, and we'll get to chat about it uh, next episode. Um, but for this episode, my friends, Robert, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you for having me once again, guys. Absolutely. Do you know how our uh, sign-off goes? Live long and prosper. Peace and long life.